This the Black Powder Podcast. Kick up your feet, lean on your armrest, and get your mind blessed on this conquest. Hold a grip like a 12 gauge. Let this moment kick. Black people moving and having some gun ownership. I carry weight, not to keep the camera safe. It's thinking about you, my kids, and my parents' faces. The big topics they don't wanna involve us. Think we're novice, but now we're moving hard with revolvers. This the Black Powder Podcast. Let's get it and start it. Primer set the powder is lit. It's time to get on target. Welcome to another episode of the Black Party Podcast. As always, I'm your host, Yasuke Fett. And just a general reminder of your marching orders and why we have created the Black Powder Podcast. The main mission is to change the social view of black society and firearms. How do we do that? Glad you asked. We talk, walk, read, write, and think about it to find a better solution for a brighter future for the proper protection of black people. Join us through education, practice, and safety as we take down the stigma of black people and guns one discussion at a time. Just a general reminder, you cannot do a mag dump without a couple of rounds. So if you like what you're hearing and you happen to like this show, send out an email to blackpowderpodcast at gmail.com and let me know what your favorite episode is. Whether or not you agree, disagree, or have questions, please make sure to send them to blackpowderpodcast at gmail.com. And always... Feel free to like, share, and subscribe. The only way to continue to grow is to continue to share this knowledge with other people. And the only way to even get the message out is to let everyone know. So once again, if you like what you heard and would like to continue to hear, please like, share, and subscribe. And as always, you can find us on multiple platforms, especially main ones. Uh, As of recently, we are now on Spotify, Apple iTunes, Google Podcast, Amazon Music, and Audible. You want to go ahead and introduce yourself, uh, Sergeant Wardell? Sure, sure, boss. Um, I am a former Marine rifleman uh, in the infantry. Uh, I served three tours in Iraq. I was there the very first day of the Iraq War. Uh, was sent back the following year to go to Fallujah. And then was sent back the following year after that to head back to Fallujah. So I spent three birthdays in the war. Uh, turned 19, 20, and 21 on the front lines. Uh, clearing houses and getting into gunfights some as long as 14 hours um, just 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 living the marine life and um, I finished my time went to college got married had kids and then PTSD really came on to me during my last year of undergrad it really like things I hadn't thought about in years just started flooding me you know people faces smells uh uh, kids that were hurt and wounded just everything just kind of flooded me for some reason out of nowhere um from then i had to be hospitalized several times because i kept thinking suicide was my only option suicide was the best option every every way I could look at it it just kept feeling and looking like suicide was the only option so uh, eventually I got into uh, therapy and counseling and medication and then for 10 years um, that was my life was just just uh, attending therapy and whatnot and and still being a suburban dad and husband taking the kid taking uh, my daughter to cheerlead and that sort of thing but um, 
in 2018, I was finally able to break out of my mold. I uh, got a small amount of land here in Florida, and I started to camp. And something about camping and having my gun again and um, just living like a Marine again, just it it, 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 it inspired this this surge of life into me for some reason, somehow. Um, it, it reminded me that I was actually good at certain things. I was good in the outdoors. I was good at, you know, putting up a tent or setting up a perimeter, things that I had forgotten about because, you know, we come back and most of the time, unless you live in the country, we come back to urban environments. So half of the skills and whatnot that you acquired and got good at, you just don't get to touch anymore. And um, that was what I was missing was being able to touch the outdoors and touch the the tactical side of me again. And uh, I went from just camping to starting to hunt. I really got into hunting wild hogs because you can use your night vision and your thermal vision just like we did in Iraq and everything kind of feels so comfortable. And uh, from there, I started to carry a GoPro with me. And uh, eventually that led to a YouTube channel, led to me spreading myself around social media a bit. Um, From after that phase, uh, I entered military radio. Um, I started with uh, dysfunctional veterans radio, DV radio, which I'm still a part of. And now I'm also a part of a military broadcast radio. Uh, MBR radio. So, um, yeah, I, I, I just went from trying to begin a web series in the outdoors to having podcasts to uh, I just recently finished my book about being in the war and submitted that to publishers. And then um, the last thing I got going is the land that I bought. I decided to turn it into a homeless shelter for veterans, a homeless camp. Nice. So that, uh, it can be sort of like a, a platform for individuals to start over, whether it's that second chance, third chance, 10th chance. It really doesn't matter to me. I know for a fact how bad the war can ravage your mind and your life. So I'm all about trying to help these guys uh, get back to wherever it is they feel they need to be in life and to get off the streets. Nice. That's Wow. That's really commendable, man. It's wow. I I don't even know what to say to that. That's that's. I'm really glad to hear something like that is available, especially for uh, veterans, man. Because you know, like we said earlier, I mean, I don't know if the VA has gotten better now or if it's the same, but you know, I've heard so many horror stories from you know friends of mine or just other people in passing that have actually had issues with the VA and. You know, the the last time I heard something good as far as, like, uh, people getting help was, like, what Chris Kyle was doing. But, you know, they don't. Yeah, we see how that turned out. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. I mean, just, you know, killed by the dude he was helping out. Right. You know, they make it seem like that was the only thing. That really yeah 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 i'm sorry that just that that really really pissed me off because it was a marine that did that to him that that took his life so that really really pissed me off to know that chris kyle the navy seal was helping a marine and that marine you know turned around and ended up taking 
his life like that. That really pissed me off on a whole nother level, bro. But why do you think he, uh, what do you think might have influenced him to do that? I mean, you think it was just his PTSD was that serious? Or do you think he might have had personal feelings towards Chris? Uh, you know, what do you think? If I'm being a betting man, and I'm not usually, I don't gamble or anything like that, but if I was a betting man, I would say certain comments were made about him being a Marine and and Chris being a SEAL, and then they got into comments probably about, oh, who can shoot the best, and oh, how Marines can't do this, or the other guy was like, oh, the SEALs can't do that. I'm guessing somewhere in there, there could have been a possibly could have i don't think it was um just merely because of ptsd or anything like that i knowing knowing the way guys are from different branches when you get two branches together um which is which is a big reason why i don't knock other branches um some people take it too far some people take it to heart um because you know these are organizations that these guys have fought and almost died for so you know, they, they, they cling emotionally real tight to their uh, identities within those branches. But I, I, I honestly think there's probably something said between uh, about Marines and SEALs, and he he probably got pissed about that and, and took it a little too far. That's, that's always been my, uh, my, my mindset on it for the past, you know, 10 years or so since it happened. Basically, something that didn't need to happen in the first place. Yeah, I mean, it seems like it, especially whenever you got somebody willing to help you, man. And then something like this happens. I know what what pissed me off about the whole situation was damn uh, Jesse Ventura. Oh, yeah, how he was uh, the body. Yeah, that's what you want to call it. He used to be the body. <laughs> I mean, look, I know I got my weight gain, but I'm not sitting down trying to act like I'm still in my heyday right now. Just that dude need to go. He need to sit down somewhere and have two Cokes and a smile. You know, that's all I got to say about that. <laughs> he he just, I mean, the fact that you got a woman who I'm pretty sure she was, she was set up after Chris passed, um, you know, unfortunately, because, you know, she never, uh, she never should have been put in that situation in the first place. But, you know, lo and behold, uh, here we are. She's trying to continue to make a living and everything. And you got this jackass over here trying to take her to court because, uh, what was that? I think he, he was, he was insulted or slandered or, or quote unquote struck by Chris or something. I mean, I don't know, man. It just, you know, and even though Hulk Hogan had his issues, at least he was all American, you know, quote unquote. Fuck Jesse. Right. <laughs> <laughs> we just call it like it. <laughs> Maybe you mad, man. It just, but I guess that's a good lead into this question. Uh, have you faced any unique challenges or obstacles as a black military content creator that you believe may have contributed to the lack of recognition in the industry? I can't say that I have, man. I mean, um, I haven't been like deep within the industry. I'm not deep into the, I'm not that deep into the two a world or that deep into the military veteran world. I will say 
it's not something like direct, like, yeah, I face discrimination here or face discrimination there. But I, I will say I, I feel people are a lot more open to hearing the stories and sacrifices made by white veterans versus what they hear from a black man for a black veteran. Yeah, that that's one thing that's always baffled me because, um, like, uh, when I was getting more involved into the two A world, uh, I think the first couple of channels I watched were like, uh, you got Demolition Ranch where they're over there doing crazy stuff with firearms, entertaining, but you know, crazy nonetheless. Uh, Hickok Forty Five, who, in my opinion, he's like that dude. That's like your grandpa that's got that really cool gun collection. He's like, all right, now, <laughs> go on, try that one out. If you fall down on the bottom, we won't tell your mother. We just pretend like you <laughs> fell on a tree, okay? Dude, dude, super chill. And then it led me to like, um, uh, was it Vigilance Elite? Because I was getting more involved in uh, 2020 when that, that mess was going on. And I think that was when... Um, uh, what's his name? Sean Ryan was busy putting together his platform, and then you had Warrior Poet Society and and Rona Tactics and everything. But it just seemed like you know you you look at how they are putting their stuff together, and then you know the stuff that they got going on, and and so on and so forth. It's like where y'all getting your support from? How are you able to? to build this giant platform like this, like what's, what's the sauce, man? Cause you don't really, and this is one thing that's always baffled me. It's like, you don't really see a lot of, um, you know, black platforms on the same level as that. I think even, uh, uh, what is it? Guns out TV. I mean, they, I think they were doing their own thing, but then when they joined up with, uh, uh, warrior poet society, and now they're on the Warrior Poet uh, Network. It's like they're getting a lot of recognition. So it's yeah. like, what, what? what's the missing connection that's keeping more black content creators from, from getting to that level? Yeah, I actually, uh, I interviewed uh, Jay Keys from Guns Out TV probably about two, three weeks ago. Um, I, I... I would say it's 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 pretty much what we just hit on is the fact that um most of America feels that black men don't do heroic stuff or don't do stuff worth listening to and with me being a frontline infantry guy that's the kind of stuff that truly pisses me off to think that for, you know, for anybody else to think that, you know, Hey, what you think we don't have blacks on the front lines. You think we don't have blacks that are great shooters that are great snipers that are great riflemen that are great machine gunners or any, or, you know, you think they don't sacrifice just as much and that they aren't there on the fight too. But, um, I have to, you know what? I have to look at it from one other angle though, boss, to be real with you. Mm-hmm. When you look at the front lines and special ops, there are not that many blacks, right? Uh-huh. And now, and that's a voluntary thing right there because those guys could volunteer to be on the front lines, could volunteer to be in special forces or special ops, but they don't. 
And that that blew me away even since I was 18 years old. People talk a lot about wanting to be tough and hard and all of that. But when they get the chance to actually be, you know, um, what they say they are, in the end, they would rather have job security and be safe. They don't want that danger. They don't want that smoke. And that's what I had to come to learn and realize. People are taught talk a lot of stuff about, you know, them being ready to fight and how they would do this and do that. But the truth is, when they have the opportunity to do it or to go there or to get there, we just don't have a lot of black guys that are always willing to take that stance to come to the front lines, to come to the dangerous stuff. It sounds like, um, cause if you look at the history of the military and black people in general, you know, uh, if you go as far back as like, I don't know, let's say the civil war, which you can probably even go farther back. Cause I, I think maybe the French Indian war and a bunch of other stuff that happened here in the American soul as is being, um, settled if you will but you you take it from there to like let's say the world wars uh vietnam so on and so forth you know the way that black soldiers were treated i mean maybe that kind of set the precedent to where you know we'll let you in the army you you can fight with us but as far as you know proving yourself you can try as much as you want to but this is how we're always going to view you because you had uh was this world war one I, I think my, my time line might be off but you had a a black uh airman or whatever you want to call it he was a he was a pilot at the time right or he wanted mm-hmm. to be a pilot he had to go all the way to france if i'm remembering this right i think he had to go all the way to france just to either learn how to fly a plane or he was teaching them how to fly a plane and do dog fights and everything. Cause he, he couldn't get that recognition over here. Even in the, uh, like, like say world war two, after they captured some German soldiers, you know, they let the German soldiers eat with the white American soldiers, but the black soldiers weren't allowed to eat with the white soldiers. Right. So there's, you, you think there's just like that underlying tone, well, I guess thick underlying tone of animosity there that keeps black soldiers from wanting to do that because they feel like that no matter what, and you know, no matter what they try and prove themselves, but it's not going to change that factor. Or what do you think? There's, um, I think that that's a part of it. Plus, you know, you're always going to have people who look at it as, Oh, you know, you're serving in, in uh, the white man's military or the white man's army or stuff like that. You have got people that, you know, that still look at things in that way. Yeah. Um. So you, 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 you know, you really can't, you, you really, it takes the individual to beat that mindset. It really does. It takes the individual on their own to, um, have a different mindset than to look at it in that way. And I, I, I never personally had that mindset. I still, I look at it cause I, I joined in 2002. So, um, you know, I'm a little more, it's been a long time either way, but I'm not as bad as like, you know, the mindset they had in the seventies, eighties, nineties, that sort of thing. Yeah. But I, I looked at it as, uh, you know, we all live in this country. We all enjoy it. 
um I don't mind I don't mind fighting for it. This country's done a lot for me. I mean, even uh compared to what I especially compared to what I've seen in other in other countries now being able to travel and whatnot. Um what this country has done to even, you know, like to educate me for 12 years in public schools for free. That's even stuff like that, man. You you just don't see everywhere or get everywhere. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you're right about that. Cause it's, you know, a country isn't going to go out of its way. It's like, say for example, America, right? We're not going to go out of our way to, to teach accurate African history or Af- accurate Japanese history or whatever, you know, there, there's still people out there that think Japan doesn't have a military because of, of what they've been taught in school. Right. Just, just like there's still people out there that think, um, you know, now granted there are certain areas of Africa that's impoverished or whatnot, but you know, based on movies and everything, they make it seem like that and nothing out there, but a bunch of people swatting flies with, you know, the ribs and, you know, the skin attached to the ribs and whatnot. And that's, that's, I don't know if you can really call it ignorance. I mean, they don't know any better because they're not really taught any better because of, of what they're given, you know? So in a sense it's ignorance, but it's, it's kind of planned. So you really got to appreciate, um, the opportunity that let you go from, from point A to point B and actually educate yourself. Uh, yeah, I totally agree with that, bro. Yeah, I, I now granted, I mean, you know, there's a difference in like traveling and traveling black. Traveling black is interesting, man. I know that. Much. <laughs> Speak on it, bro. Speak on it. <laughs> so, I, I mean, the the one thing that I can remember, um, and it always happens because I, I like going to Japan because it's. It's clean, it's orderly, you know, knock on wood, I hadn't had too many issues out there. And for the most part, everybody's treated me with respect. Now, granted, I know I'm a foreigner and, and they're looking at me like that, especially a black one, because, you know, they're they're probably 90% Japanese. You know, we, we come from a land where, I think last time I checked, uh, black people made up 17%. Well, it's between 15% and 17%. So... Being um, black American people, we're not going to have the same advantages like, say, the black people over in Africa because they make up 90% of the population. So, long story short, they're used to seeing people that share their own their own reflection. Right. So, <laughs> when I went over there, it wasn't the adults that were looking at me like I was crazy. Or if they were, they were, they weren't really, you know, making it known. But when the kids are there, you know, that's what changes everything. Cause I, I'll never forget. I was in my hotel and I was coming down, uh, down the elevator. And I think we stopped the floor, picked up a, a mother and her son. Right. So, you know, <clears throat> we're at the back of the elevator, staring at the door, waiting on it to go down. And I felt something. It just, you know, this disturbance in the force or whatever you want to call it, right? So then I look to my left, and the mother's in between me and the son. So the mother's staring straight forward. This boy next to her leaned all the way forward. And I think I was on the right side. He leaned all the way forward and, and looked hard to the right. 
at me. Because he's like, it's like, what's wrong with him? <laughs> what's going on? He wasn't saying this stuff, but it's like you can hear the thoughts because, like I said, 90% of the population looks like you. When you see somebody of another another race, I mean, it's probably a culture shock because, you know, you're probably going to go home and, and, you know, the car ride is going to be interesting. You're going to be asking them all, all sorts of questions like, why didn't you tell me there was darker people out there? You know, why didn't you tell me that, that there was more people out there that don't look like me or just, you know, <laughs> it, it just it's a, it can be a culture shock, man. Even if you go to another um, like, let's say. Let's say an island, right? That could either be under like uh, have a French influence or a Dutch influence or whatever. Got like St. Martin or, uh, you know, where I went recently, Aruba. Um, you'll have the Dutch people there. And and for the most part, you know, the black people there, as far as I, my experiences, I can't speak for other people, but I haven't had any issues with black people on St. Martin or Aruba for that matter. Um, but sometimes you'll get like the Dutch people, uh, the ones that are white, that'll be like, oh, he's American. He's American. Yeah. Like, that's a bad thing. Like, I'll be honest, man. This last trip was the first time I ever drove in another country. And, which is why I'm recommending Aruba to you because, I mean, there's no stop signs, man. If there are, <laughs> I'm for, it was beautiful. If only people over here could understand how to use a roundabout, we'd be right as rain, man. Because <laughs> that, that's all it is. It's like there's one straight road. That road is leading from the top of the island to the bottom of the island and back. So when you drive on it, there's no stop signs. It's just a roundabout. Now, granted, you got to wait. To, uh, you got to wait your turn to get into the roundabout. But once you hit it, boom, you got one to three places to go. If you go to fourth place, guess what? You coming all the way back around that roundabout till you get it right. But nonetheless, yeah. you know, it's it's straightforward, simple. Like, you got to try hard to get lost out there, man. It's beautiful. But that being said, I was trying to drive this car. And my girl was talking to him because she lived over there in the Netherlands. So she could speak Dutch. And me, I can only speak the three words that she taught me. I think she might have taught me a fourth. I don't know. But... You know, they're going back and forth, having a full conversation in Dutch. And all of a sudden, they're hearing, oh, American. Like, I don't know what y'all said, but I did hear that part. <laughs> and normally, it doesn't really end well. Or not really yeah. end well, but normally, you know, it's not it's not positive, unfortunately. It's just a, as far as being... um. You know, the ambassadors of the country, I guess we just got to do better in general because, you know, not only are we working against the American stereotype, we're also working against the the black American stereotype. Yeah, especially, yeah. Especially at the passport bros. Yeah. <laughs> mm. I give I give I I really give you that one. I didn't think about that. I forgot about that way of looking at it. Till you just brought that up. Yeah, uh, I can tell you, passport bros are helping, man. I mean, like, I get if you're out there to try and find a wife, right? 
cool. By all means, do what you do. I ain't mad at you. But it's another thing when you claim that you're trying to find a wife out there, but you jump on on everything like like you jumping on the women, you jumping on the palm tree, you jumping on the coconuts. I mean, you just <laughs> you know you ain't got no no rhyme or reason, and you ain't got no control, man. Now you're making all black people look bad because I think it got to the point where one of the dudes he went out to Brazil and um, he was making these YouTube videos, right? And it was titled some some stuff like uh, uh, Brazilian women are easy. So all of a sudden, the chain reaction that happened was it set off uh, a Brazilian woman to make her own video, which I think was sent to the Brazilian government. And it just painted black men going underneath the moniker of Passport Bros in a negative light, which, you know, you turn that around and it whatever whatever light is shown on one black man outside the country is going to be shown on all black men outside the country. So now all of them, bro. Yeah. Yeah. It's like being a bad ambassador, man. Look, if you're going to do your thing, do your thing, but don't, don't put a label to anything. Cause like, as soon as you put a label to what you're doing and try and get more people underneath the, underneath that umbrella. And it's not a positive thing. Pretty soon. Everybody's going to get wet when it breaks. Yeah. Yeah, I I get you there. I try not to get caught up too much on on, um, what it is I know the others are are thinking about us or or saying. I try to, in in my own way, look at it as though, okay, yes, I know their stereotypes. I know what their thoughts are. When you deal with me on an individual basis, you'll see a difference on an individual basis. That's all you can control. You can't help the way they look at it, you know, us all as a race or anything like that. Just when it comes down to those individual interactions, um that's that's you know, that's what I can control and I I try to uh make a positive example with that, you know, the one chance they get to to actually deal with me, me personally. This the Black Powder Podcast, let's get it splitting. We got the wisdom hitting targets with a mark with precision. We're having fun in the booth, we're running gun for the truth. And every future black gun owner was spreading the news. We do it legal, we're moving regal and blessing the people. Some hopes for the culture, we keep it locked like guns in our holster. Holding it down as we're loading the rounds. If they were nervous back then, then they're gonna be scared of us now. Black Powder Podcast, we'll be back in a while. Yeah.